be inside in a minute. I want to say hey to Joe. Hey, Joe. Hey, Mike. Flower beds are looking good, neighbor. Yep. You guys should get back from church? Ah. Yeah, yeah, just been at the church house. I wonder why he never invites me to church. I mean, I'd go if he asked me to go. But this is the way it is. I'm out in my front yard when he comes home from church. It's always so awkward. It's so awkward. And I'm so hungry. Ugh. I think my wife made goulash. I love goulash. Oh, maybe Joe would like some goulash for lunch. Hey, Joe. Here comes the invitation to church. Yeah? You wanna come over for Sure, I'd love to go to church with you. What'd you just say? What'd you just say? No, what? No, what'd you say? What'd no, you what say? You, say? you said something about God. God, God. Goo. 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 Goulash. Goulash? Goulash. It's a... You're having goulash at your church? No. No, at my house. You're having... You're inviting me over for goulash? Yeah. At your... Goulash. Yeah, who doesn't like goulash? I'd like some goulash. Yeah, sign me up. Goulash. I'll check and make sure we have enough. I see you walking away. Well, hey, that's a great way of just bringing up what we're talking about today. We're in week three of a series called Gone Fishing. And uh, this series is all about what it means to follow Jesus from the standpoint of reaching other people for Jesus. And that video was just basically like, don't do that. Don't be weird. Don't be creepy. Um, don't be uh, all funky when you ask people or invite people to church. Um, but this series is based on a series done many years ago by one of my favorite teachers. His name is Andy Stanley out of a church in Atlanta called North Point. And this really is a series uh, that is about the heart of Christianity. Um, and I know that not everybody in here is a Christian. Um, you know, we, we know by doing surveys and, and uh, kind of statistics-wise that there's, there's a number of you in here that haven't yet decided to follow Jesus, and you're just checking out the Jesus thing, checking out the God piece of your life. Well, let me just tell you, through this series, my hope and our prayer is that you will get an understanding of what sets Jesus apart from all other religious leaders and what sets Christianity apart from all other world religions, and if you become a follower of Jesus, what might happen in your life. So we started last week um, talking about something that Jesus did when he first called his disciples to follow him. And he said, disciples, um, if you follow me, I'm going to turn you into something that you are not right now. And if you're like me, you're probably thinking, hey, uh, if you were to guess, you're thinking Jesus is going to turn his disciples into holy people, um, into uh, religious guys or committed or, or disciplined, morally pure uh, people, things like that. But Jesus says, I want you to follow me. And if you follow me, I'm going to make you into fishers of men. And they had no idea what that meant. Um, and they had no interest, but they went along with him anyways. And what Jesus was saying is this, I'm going to bring you into my family, and I'm not going to bring you into my family just to make you a better person, a better father, a better mother, a better brother or sister, um, or, or make you more financially secure. Um, if you follow me, some of those things might happen, but primarily, I'm going to bring you into relationship with me and teach you to fish for people. I'm going to help you become somebody that brings other people to me. I'm going to use you to talk about me 
out loud to people, even though it's politically incorrect, even though the world might not want to hear the message, I want to bring you to the place where you bring other people to me. And he wants to do that for you. He wants to do that for me because there is something that happens when you follow Jesus and what following Jesus means. To follow Jesus means to fish because followers fish. If you want to follow Jesus, one of the things followers of Jesus do is they fish. They reach out and fish for people to bring them into relationship with Jesus. And we reminded everybody in week one of this series that, hey, all of us were fish at one time. And somebody brought us in and introduced us to Jesus. And aren't we grateful that they did? That was week one. Last week, we talked about how the message of Jesus is different from all other world religions. Because sometimes we feel like to talk about Jesus, we've got to get into a religious debate. We've got to know all this stuff. Well, here's the deal. Christianity is not founded on a belief system. Christianity is not founded on a religion. Christianity is actually based on an event that happened in history. And this is different than every other religion that's on the planet. Christianity is actually based on an event in history. It's based on the life, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's what sets it apart. And because it's based on a historical event, one of the only ways we learn history is being told about it. So we need to talk about it. So we talked about last week. It's like, we need to talk about it because it's based on an actual historical event. No one claims that Jesus didn't exist. There's 24,000 manuscripts out there that were handwritten within the lifetime of eyewitnesses that say, hey, Jesus was on the earth. He did miracles. He died. He rose again from the dead. It's a historically accurate event. And we need to talk about Jesus, not only because of that, but also because The story about Jesus, the message of Jesus is not intuitive. You can go sit under a tree and kind of figure out life and kind of think about life and you can kind of figure, you probably get to the place where you can believe there's a God because you're sitting under a tree and you're under a tree. How did that get made? How did you get made? And you might even get to the point where you think that that God is good. And you might even do a little bit more work and you might even get to the place where, where you, you are thinking, hey, that there's good and evil in the world and maybe the good God is where good people go to end up in heaven, but where, what you will never get to on your own because it's not intuitive is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You will never get, to the, get on your own to this place where, oh, God sent his son to earth, God in the flesh, <clears throat> and that son actually died on the cross to pay for my sins. That's not intuitive. You won't come up with that on your own sitting under a tree. If you're a follower of God, you are sent by God into the world to reach people to fish. Christianity is not a philosophy. It's not a, uh, um, a set of ethics. It's not a morality. Um, it's not a set of values. Christianity is about a historic event. And New Testament believers, when this first movement began, right after Jesus um, you know, ascended into heaven, they said, the reason we have to talk about it, the reason that people can't shut us up about Jesus is because we can't stop talking about something that we have seen and heard. They were there. They saw it. They couldn't stop talking about it. How are people going to know the story of Jesus if we don't tell it? So if you're a Christian... Everything I just said is not new, right? Like, you know all this. You know everything I just said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you did the stuff about Christianity based on an event, and it's not intuitive, and somebody has to tell, and somebody needs to tell people. But even though we know all that, isn't it interesting that even followers of Jesus, we still tend to shrink back from our responsibility and calling to tell people? 
to be fishers of people. We still hesitate to speak up about Jesus. And I'll just tell you this. I'm going to tell you why most of us are hesitant if you're a follower of Jesus. Now, if you're not, um, you, you know what? I want you to hear um, one of the things that God asks us to do, but there's a reason why many of us don't. Um, if we polled people and we said, hey, why don't you fish? Why don't you talk to people about um, Jesus outside of church? I think we could boil it down to one word, um, and that is we are simply what? What's the word? Afraid. Yeah, absolutely. We're just afraid. We're afraid. Many of us as Christians in the room, we're just afraid. Well, what if I don't know what to say? What if they ask a hard question and I don't know the answer? What if I sound stupid? What if they don't think I'm cool anymore, which I don't have to worry about because I'm so cool? What if it's awkward? What if, what if they fire me? What if, what if they don't invite me to their parties anymore and I really like their parties? What if they walk away? What if it ends the relationship? And so because of our fear and our concern, you add on a layer of guilt and you say, you know what? I'm glad somebody shared it with me, but sharing it with other people is not for me. That's for people like Kevin on the stage. That's his job. He's a professional sharer of Jesus. Um, and so that's, that's who's supposed to do that. Certainly not me. That's I'm, why? Because I'm secretly afraid to fish. And I don't want anyone to know that because I'm not allowed to say that. I'm not supposed to say that. But secretly, I'm just kind of afraid to mention Jesus in a lot of the circles that I run in. Well, here's what I want to do today. I want to address that fear. I want to address that fear that I believe most of us have about talking to people who aren't believers in Jesus. And so here's one of the things that, that, I, that I want to do. I want to talk to you as followers of Jesus. But at the same time, I want to talk to you, talk to those of you that are checking out this Jesus thing. Because you need to know that what Jesus says to you is follow me and I'm going to turn you into a fisher of people. I'm going to turn you into someone that I hope you will go out and talk about me because the story needs to be told. It's based in his history and it's not intuitive. And so I want to talk about fear and I want to help you and I not get rid of fear because it's okay to be afraid. What I want to do is help you overcome that fear. I don't want to wipe that fear out because I think that, that, that many of us, we carry that and it's natural to feel that. But I do want to help you overcome the fear. I want to, I want to speak about what it is to be a different, uh, just a four-letter word that you can say in church, okay? I want to talk about what it means to be this word. It starts with a B and it is just bold. Can we say that together? Bold. I want to talk about what it means to be bold, about becoming bold and sharing your faith. I want to talk about what will happen if you become bold and I want to talk about how to become bold. So let me pray before we jump in. Um, Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Lord, I really truly believe that every one of us is here, and it's not by accident. It's not by chance. It's not because we didn't have anything better to do. Um, it's because you um, have drawn us here, and you want us to be here this morning because you have something special for each one of us. And so, God, I pray right now that you would open our hearts and in our minds to your message, to your truth, to your word. Lord, just simply help me be a mouthpiece as you speak your words to your people. And God, I'm listening as well as I'm teaching. Lord, I pray that you would fill this place with your presence and that you would just allow us to hear that specific, poignant message specifically for each one of us in the next few moments. In your holy name, amen. So I want to talk about, first of all, um, how 
to overcome fear and become bold. And so here's what's interesting as you read the Bible, the primary players in the New Testament, the disciples of Jesus, the 12 disciples, they were all cowards at one time. Um, every single one of them. Uh, one time, the young girl came up to Peter, the lead disciple, um, Jesus' strongest follower. And uh, this young girl came up to him and said, hey, don't you follow Jesus? I think I've seen you with him. And Peter actually says, no way. He curses at her. And, and he basically says, I don't know the man. And he did all of that within the earshot of Jesus while he was being beaten and tortured before he was crucified. Peter was denying that he even knew him, just total cowardice. Then Jesus, uh, when Jesus was arrested, all of his followers ran away on him, scared to death. They were afraid to be associated with Jesus. While he was being beaten and wrongfully accused, not a single one came to his defense. Not a single one stood up, spoke up when he was crucified. When he was hanging on the cross, they were hanging in the shadows and just watching because they were afraid of being known and seen as followers of Jesus after he died after Jesus died. They didn't even come and get the body. Two other guys had to come and get the body and put it in a tomb. And the question is, because we know the rest of the story, what happened that turned these guys from being scared, afraid, want to run away from their shadow kind of people into men and women who were followers of Jesus who believed so strongly in fishing for people that they were willing to risk their lives after that. They were willing to risk everything. What turned the disciples into men who eventually 11 of the 12 were executed for continuing to believe and tell the story of Jesus Christ. And you have to realize they had far more to fear than you and I have to fear. Um, this Because the same religious leaders that just um, crucified Jesus, they were still in power. This was like, this was like not like weeks later, days later, this, or mo- it was within months of all of that happening to Jesus. We find the story that we're going to talk about today. But these religious leaders were still trying to squash the movement of Jesus. And they thought if they killed Jesus, then the movement would die out. What they didn't realize is that when they killed Jesus, they actually poured gasoline on the fire that he had started. And so we're we're going to read in the book of Acts in the New Testament. It's the fifth book in the New Testament. How you find the New Testament is you open up your Bible, you go to the middle of it, and you turn to the right, um, and you eventually get to the New Testament. The fifth book of the New Testament, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the four Gospels, the story of Jesus. If you've never read the Bible, start in the book of John, the fourth Gospel, and keep reading right after John. You get to the book of Acts. Now, Acts um, tells the story of what happened to those who followed Jesus after he died, was resurrected, was seen for 40 days. Over 500 people witnessed him. The disciples ate with him, talked with him, and he, he, uh, he actually encouraged them. Um, it's what happens after he ascends back into heaven. Um, it's what the Acts of the Apostles is what it's short for. Acts 4, 23. We're going to continue the story that we started last week. So to catch those of you up who weren't here last week, um, in Acts 4, Peter and John, two of the three lead disciples, were going into the temple in Jerusalem. And there in front of the temple was a man who couldn't walk and didn't walk since birth. And scripture tells us that he had been begging for money um, in front of the temple for 40 years. He had his cup out there and he's jiggling a little bit of change. Peter and John were passing by and Peter and John stop, look at the man. And they say to him, the first thing they say is look at, and Peter says, look at me. And I always thought that was interesting, but if you put yourself in the place of the man, our culture's not too different from then, um, if you put yourself in, the, in that scenario and you're the man on the ground that had been begging for 40 years, you probably feel a lot less than human if you're 
him because you're begging for money. Your life depends on other people giving you stuff. And so you probably don't make eye contact with many people because of the shame um, that you might feel or just the sadness that you have seen thousands of times as people look at your plight in life and sorrowfully, pitifully put money in your, in your cup. So you probably don't look up at many people at all. And so I love this because Peter and John, they walk up to him and they say, he says, look at me. And so the man looks up and Peter looks at him and he says, silver and gold, I don't have. And the man looks up and goes, crap, why are you talking to me then, right? And he's just like, that's what I'm here for. You're supposed to give me money. And Peter says, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but what I do have, I freely give to you. And he looks at him and he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. So Peter does. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And as Bible stories go, you guys know how these work. Um, the man, uh, suddenly strength comes to his legs. He jumps up. He starts running around. He starts screaming and hollering. There's this big commotion inside the temple. And all of these people um, gather around this man and Peter and John. And Peter takes this opportunity to preach an impromptu sermon because these people are seeing a man for 40 years who's begged for money in front of the temple running around, telling them, shouting, yelling and grabbing them, probably hugging everybody that he can. And Peter takes the opportunity to tell the story of Jesus. And while he's doing that, religious leaders walk up, the same religious groups that crucified Jesus weeks earlier walk up and are listening to Peter's sermon where he's just talking about Jesus again and telling people they need to repent and follow Jesus. And people are turning to Jesus. And I'm sure that the the religious leaders are just like going, Jesus, why does he keep coming up? Why does this guy keep showing up everywhere we go? We killed him. We exter- He's like the Terminator. He just keeps coming back. You can't kill him. Um, and so the religious leaders are upset. They arrest Peter and John, throw them in, night for the, in, uh, throw them in, the, in jail for the night. And the next day, the religious leaders, they bring out um, Peter and John, and they just say, look, if you don't want to spend another night in jail and you don't want anything worse to happen to you, hint, hint, wink, 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 we just killed Jesus. We can kill you as well. If you don't want any of that stuff to happen to you, you need to stop tweeting about it. Get off Instagram and stop Facebook living your little messages about Jesus. Cut it out. Stop using that name. They were very specific. Don't talk about Jesus. You can talk about, uh, when you're in the temple, you can talk about God because God's safe. In fact, you can talk about religion because religion is safe. You can talk about Abraham and Moses and Isaac and Jacob. You can talk about all of those guys, but do not talk about Jesus Christ anymore. Cut it out. And I love this moment because Peter takes the time to preach another sermon directly to them. And he said, look, we're not going to stop. Do you want us to obey you or do you want us to obey God? We're going to keep talking about Jesus because we can't stop talking about what we have seen and heard. Again, pointing back to this event that happened. He didn't say preaching about what we believe, what we think, the religion that we follow. No, it's about what we have seen and heard. And so the religious leaders, they leave it at just that because everybody's excited about this man that was healed. So they just say, they just say, hey, cut it out. Don't talk anymore about him. And then they let him go. They just threaten him. 
Well, on their way home, so they leave the religious leaders on their way home. Um, they have a conversation that we're, that we're not privy to. It's not in scripture. Um, we don't know what they talked about, but I will just tell you what I would have talked about if it were me um, and maybe you, but after spending a night in jail um, for talking about Jesus, I now have an arrest on my record. It's going to be really hard to find a job. They're messing with my livelihood, um, you know, I, and they're threatening me with more. Um, I would have said on the way home, if I were Peter or John, I would have said to the other one, I said, woo, glad we got out of that one. That was close. We better watch out. We better start being way more careful. We're going to get in trouble. I think we might need to move this thing underground or out of Jerusalem because these people, they, we need to go somewhere that, where they are more receptive to this message because the people here, they ain't receptive. In fact, they're threatening us. They're threatening our family. They're threatening everybody that we know. And thank you, God. Thank you so much for saving us. Thank you that nothing worse happened. Thank you for keeping us safe. We will never do that again. That was way too close. I don't know about you, maybe that might have been something that I was feeling because I just skated through a really scary scenario where the same people that killed Jesus were threatening me. Thankfully, that's not what happens. When they get back to their group of people, their people have been praying for them all night. They probably think they might never see these two guys again because of the fact that they just killed Jesus. So they get back, they're in one piece, and the others want to know, how'd you get out? What happened? Tell us the story. And this is where we pick up the story in Acts chapter 4, verse 23. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leaders and elders had said. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. What is the first thing they do when they hear the story? They pray. They go to God in prayer, and we actually know what they prayed. The scripture tells us what they prayed. They said, O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them, they start their prayer by acknowledging how powerful and how big and how creative God is. I'm just telling you, as a follower, fellow follower of Jesus Christ, for some of you, for those of you that are followers in here, I forget how big God is sometimes. Have you ever had a situation in your life fill the front windshield of your life so much that it feels bigger than God, bigger than his ability to do anything about it, bigger than, his, uh, than, than, than he cares to deal with? And so, so you're, like, you're overwhelmed. Sometimes we need to do exactly what they did because they might have felt the same way, overwhelmed and going, man, this is a big deal. Let's go to God, oh, sovereign Lord. They're acknowledging how powerful and how big and how creative God is. They're acknowledging his supreme leadership, his supreme control. God God, you are above all. They are reminding themselves that God is in control. And they continue on. Verse 25, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, now they're going to pray about prophecy that was given hundreds of years prior. Why are the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah, which is Jesus. In fact, this has happened here in this very city for Herod, Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor of the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. And so what they're doing in this prayer, they're connecting the dots back to the Old Testament prophecies and talking about their current time. They're kind of connecting the past to the present. They're realizing they're living in a divine moment in history, a moment that was foretold. Prophecy is coming to reality right before their very eyes. The Messiah that God had foretold, Jesus, 
They got to be with him. They got to witness him. They got to be on earth during the time of those prophecies fulfilled. Verse 28. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, hear their threats, the religious leaders' threats, and give us, your servants, protection. Is that what it says? No. Give us, your servants, safety. (coughs) Is that what it says? Okay, I'm getting it wrong. Get us, your servants, security. Am I getting closer? No. Give us, your servants, an easy life. Give us your servants happiness. Give us your servants a free pass and have somebody else tell them because we're afraid. That is not their prayer at all. They pray, give us your servants great, what is that word? Boldness. Okay, say it with a little bit of boldness. Give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hands with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook. How cool would that have been? And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. Now listen, these guys are shut down publicly. They're arrested. They're intimidated. They're threatened. They go back to their group, narrowly escaping something worse. And they didn't go back and shut down the operation, shutter it, rethink their plans, and figure out how to do it more stealthy. They prayed for great boldness, great boldness to keep, keep speaking out about Jesus. They prayed for strength and courage and grit to keep speaking up about what they have seen and what they have heard. Their first response after narrowly escaping was to go to God and say, God, you're God. They're not. You're sovereign. They're not. You're more powerful than anyone on earth, any ruler. You're bigger than them. You're more important than any of your creation. Give us boldness to keep it up. Give us boldness to speak and teach and preach whenever and wherever we get the chance. And the question is, how did they become bold? How did they become bold? I just read it to you. How did they become bold? They asked God to make them bold. They ask God to make them bold, to give them boldness, to give them courage, to give them strength, to give them the ability to speak up, not shut up, to give them the ability to step up, not back down, to give them uh, the the ability to, to move forward and not slow down the movement of the gospel of Jesus Christ through them. They ask God, this is so simple. Do you want to know how to become bold for Jesus? You don't need a seminary course. You don't need a history lesson. You don't need to memorize Bible verses. You don't need to memorize the books of the Bible in in, in order. You become bold by asking God to give you great boldness to tell his story. It's that simple. I know some of you are going, well, that's too simple. Can you give me three points to boldness? (laughs) Nope. Can you give me five steps to bold living? Can you give me a course on evangelism? And I'm just telling you, I'm giving you the one way to become bold. Ask God to give you great boldness. It's that simple. Just ask him. When's the last time you asked God to give you great boldness in sharing with somebody about him? Have you ever asked God to give you great boldness so you can share his story? And let me just tell you, you know what boldness is? Boldness is not volume, okay? That's not bold. You're not bold because you're loud. Boldness is not the guy in the street corner um, at UCF or downtown Winter Garden or Orlando with a bullhorn going, turn a burn, you're going to hell, change your life, come to me. Jesus is going to kill you. You know, that's not, that's not bold. That's actually something else. That's not, uh, and I'll tell you why it's not bold, because he's safe. Like we live in a country where you have free speech or mostly, and that's another message for another day. But, uh, but that's not bold. 
stand up on a street corner and yell. And you know what boldness is? Boldness is, is this. And let me just make it so simple because every single one of us, God is calling you and wanting you to be bold. Boldness is taking a meal to a family on your street that, you're know, that you know is in need or they're going through a tough time and giving them the meal and telling them that Jesus loves them. Boldness is a 35-year-old guy whose father is in the waning moments of his life, and he knows his father doesn't know Jesus, and he wants to make sure that his father's in heaven with him when his father passes. And so he brings it up, even though it's a little uncomfortable, even though his dad doesn't really want to talk about it or has always kind of pushed him away, is he still bringing it up? Why? Because he loves his dad. He wants to see his dad be in heaven with him. Boldness is inviting someone that you don't know what they believe, um, but from what you see, they don't believe in Jesus, and, and it's inviting them to church with you. Boldness is risking... Um, uh, friendships to share the powerful message of Jesus Christ and how Jesus is different than Christianity. It's different than every other religion in the world because it's based on history and not a belief system. And I'll tell you, that when I think I thought of boldness this week, um, a person actually came to my mind. Um, when I think of boldness, I think of my mom, uh, believe it or not. She's 76 years old. Um, on Sundays after church, uh, my mom cooks lunch for my family, and we take our four kids, and uh, we, my brother and his five kids, because he's crazy, um, we take him, him and his five kids. We all go over to my mom's house, and uh, in the fall, we watch, uh, we watch football, and we watch the Lions get yet another game stolen from them by the officials. Um, so that's what we do on Sundays. <laughs> Um, uh, I am am not bitter about Monday at all. Um, Still, I've forgotten it. It's gone past. Um, But uh, about two and a half years ago, um, my mom, she's 74 at the time, we're eating lunch, and my mom just casually says, hey, the other day I was Ubering, and I was talking about this person, talking to this person about God. And uh, and I'm like, mom, why why did you call an Uber? Like, is there something wrong with your car? Why didn't you just tell us, and we'd have come and gotten you? And she says, no, I wasn't riding in an Uber. I was the driver. And I'm like, what? Like, it surprised all of us. I'm like, you're an Uber driver? And she's like, yeah. I'm like, well, when were you going to tell us? Like, that you got a job, and you're driving people around. And then I'm kind of going, wait, you're 74 years old. You got weird people getting in your car all the time. I don't even know if I like this. I don't know if this is safe. So my mom's an Uber driver. She's still driving Uber. Um, And for two and a half years, she has done everything you're not supposed to do as an Uber driver if you want a five-star rating. She does it all wrong. Like my mom in her car, she talks about politics in her car. You want to talk about politics? Get a ride from her and she'll drive you around extra time just so she can talk more about politics to you because she loves talking about politics. You're not supposed to talk about politics with strangers ever because you don't know what they think. She's gotten kids in her car that said, I mean, she told me this one time, this is group of three teenagers. She picked them up at a high school. And the one kid said, do you mind if I vape in her car? She says, yes, I mind if you vape. And then she starts going on and telling him that that's not very good for you. And your mother wouldn't approve of you vaping and you shouldn't ever vape because it'll kill you someday. And what are you doing with your life? And what are you going to do with your future? Like she gets into this whole diatribe with these kids in the car to which true story to which at the end, the kid goes, thank you. Like that, that's what he says to her. Like, thank you. The one thing that she does that you should never do if you're an Uber driver and you've got people getting in your car and and you want to have a five-star rating, the one subject you should never bring up, more than vaping, more than politics, is religion. And if you talk about religion, especially not Jesus, don't bring up Jesus. Well, let me just tell you, if you don't want to have a religious conversation, you don't want to hear about Jesus and you need an Uber, um, don't get in her car. It's a long ride because she's going to talk to you about Jesus and she tells us regularly of stories of her talking to people about Jesus. And I'm just telling you, I am inspired by her boldness. I can't believe the stuff that she says to strangers. And so this last week I call her and I'm like, mom, tell me what you do. How does this work? Because you've been doing this for two and a half years and she Ubers three or four days a week. And this is what she said. She's like, well, every morning that I Uber, 
I get up, I do my devotion, and then she's like, I pray. And I ask God, if anybody needs encouragement or needs to meet Jesus, have me pick them up. And then she turns on her app, and she doesn't leave the house till someone pops up and needs a ride. And then every trip, at a minimum, she looks him in the eye at some point and tells him Jesus loves him. Sometimes in the middle of the ride. Sometimes at the end of the ride, right before they're getting out. She said one time she just didn't know why this young girl was in the car, but at the end she just got her attention and just said, Jesus loves you. And she said that girl just started weeping. She says if she can sense that they're troubled or depressed. She asks if she can pray for them, and most of the time they say yes. And she prays for them right in the car with them. Like she doesn't give them the Christian, I'll get to, I'll pray for you, see you later. She says, let's pray right now. And she just says, you know, Kev, I always try and bring the conversation back to God. And she, she'll ask people, <laughs> she, she told me, this is what I'll do sometimes. I'll just say, so what do you think is going on in the world today? What do you think about all that's going on? She just, she just listens, and she just kind of takes it from there, and she just says, if they mention God, that's my cue. That's why they're in the car. If they'll let her talk about God, she'll talk about God. She doesn't force it on anybody, but if they mention anything spiritual, she's like, it's on. <laughs> and I'll just tell you this. Over two and a half years, she's driven over 2,500 people. And it's like, it's like shooting fish in a 50-mile-per-hour barrel, right? It's like you just, you're not going to get out in the middle of a, a car ride when someone starts talking about God. And even though she does everything wrong, she was telling me that she's led five people to Jesus in her car on a random Uber ride. They prayed to accept Christ right there in her car. On top of that, she's prayed with hundreds of strangers that she asked, can I pray for you? And they said, yes, can you pray for this? And she prays with them right there. And 2,500 people to date have been encouraged and told that Jesus loves them from someone that really believes that and really loves them. And even though she does everything wrong and she does all the stuff you shouldn't do in driving Uber, she has over a thousand five-star ratings. Like, how crazy is that? Like, she does everything wrong, and they go five stars. I really like Nana. Like, I love my, I love that little grandma lady. Her Uber rating is a four point nine two, and you would think someone that says I'm going to talk about God every trip a four point nine two. You're not going to have that. And I'm just like my my uh, like I'm I'm the son, and I'm like, who rated you less than a five, mom? <laughs> she has a gold rating with Uber. Now I'm just telling you, that's bold. That's bold. I'm so proud of her for how she's spending her retirement being bold for Jesus because she's realizing that everyone gets in her car. Everyone that gets in her car is a God appointment. Everyone that gets in her back seat is sent there by God because God positions her in their life so that she can encourage them and tell them about Jesus. That's what boldness is. It's realizing that you're already perfectly positioned by God in someone's life to approach them about Jesus. It's already done. You're already there. You have been sent specifically to your neighborhood, to your workplace, to your child's football, volleyball, baseball, soccer team, to your mom's group, to your golf league, to tell people about Jesus with your life, to love them, and to talk about Jesus with boldness. 
And I'm telling you, that's what scared all the religious leaders in Jerusalem in the, in the first century. It wasn't, it wasn't that, that, that they, that they, that they were, 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 were just scary people and they were super smart people. Um, what was intimidating and frightening to the religious leaders with these people is because they were so bold, they continued to talk about Jesus even when they were threatened with physical punishment. And here's the thing, you and I aren't threatened at all, really. Yet so many of us shrink back. So here is how you become bold. You do what the disciples did. You do what my mom does before she picks anybody up in her car. You ask God for great boldness. You ask God for great boldness. And I'll just ask you this, what would happen in your life? What would happen in your life if every day you added to your prayers this prayer? What if every day you added to your prayers, God, enable me to speak about you with boldness? God, enable me to speak about you with boldness. Oh yeah, and God, one more thing before I'm done with my prayers and I just finished my list of things that I really need you to show up in my life for, which we are supposed to do and we all should do. God, and one more thing, would you enable me to speak about you with boldness? Would you make that your prayer? What if, what if you started praying that? What if that became a regular prayer of yours? And I'll just tell you, that's a scary, scary prayer. But that's my challenge for you and myself today because I'll tell you what my mom does is she inspires me to be bold. I get caught up in life just like you do. I get busy with stuff, with raising four kids and running from here to there and doing all the stuff that I do that I forget that I'm going by people all day long that might need Jesus and might need encouragement from him and I'm too busy with my own stuff to even recognize the reality that God might have perfectly positioned me in their life to actually speak up. So my challenge for you today is to pray this prayer every day starting this week. And I'll just tell you, if you do, there are three things that will happen if you pray that prayer. The first is this, you will become more aware of opportunities that are around you to talk about Jesus. You'll begin to hear a little bit differently. You'll see openings in conversation um, to very honestly and humbly bring up Jesus in your conversations with people that don't believe. If you pray that prayer, God, enable me to speak about you with boldness. Suddenly this week, you will become aware of opportunities that God has placed you in because you are perfectly positioned in someone's life already to approach them about Jesus. The second thing that'll happen is this. You will be forced to face the fear You'll be forced to face the fear that it's time you face, the fear of broaching the subject, the fear of letting it be known that you stand in a different place with a different set of values, and the fear of a little bit of tension in a relationship. Tension's not always bad, but you'll have to face the fear of maybe there being a little bit of tension. You'll see opportunities like you've never seen, and you'll face a fear that many of us have allowed to control us and hold us back and kind of strap us down from actually living our life on the purpose that God created you for. And there's one last thing that'll happen, but before I give it to you, we're going to receive our offering. So ushers, if you guys can come on down right now. Um, for those of you that are new here, um, this is your first time visiting. Uh, I just want you to let the basket go by. Um, we, please don't feel obligated at this time. This service is our gift to you. We're not interested in your finances and your resources. We don't charge until the third service you come to. Um, so be looking forward to that. I'm totally kidding, okay? Joke, joke, joke. Um, but for those of you that call Kensington home, this is where we give to God from what he's blessed us with. And he just says, if you will give to me from what I've given to you, I will give you more than you ever dreamed possible. That's one of his promises in scripture. And so thank you for those of you that give in this moment. And for those of you that give online, thank you for that as well. Um, 
But there's one last thing that'll happen. Um, First, if you pray that prayer, God, enable me to speak about you with boldness. The first thing is you'll become more aware of opportunities. The second thing, you'll be forced to face the fear that it's time you stepped up and faced. And then one last thing will happen. You will begin to live on mission, the mission that God designed you for. So often we're trying to figure out why am I on this planet? What am I here for? What am I doing? Um, Why did God create me? And I'll just tell you a little bit of the answer to that. One of the reasons God created you so that you could be in relationship with you. He's a relational God. He created you to know him and to live in relationship with him. And then he created you to live on mission to tell people about who he is so that they too might have a relationship with God. That mission that you have is the mission of our church, to see everyone transformed and mobilized by Jesus. That's the mission of this church. If you call Kensington home, this is what we want to be as a church, but it's each individual. And those brackets around everyone denote those who are lost and don't know Jesus. It's from the parable of the lost sheep where, where, where the shepherd leaves the 99 who are safe and goes after the one lost sheep that's out on its own. So that's kind of where we get that every one that's far from God. We want to see them transformed and mobilized by Jesus. That mission is found in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. And I want to pull one little section of this passage of scripture out to give you encouragement to speak up about God. Matthew 28, 19, and 20, Jesus is talking. If you got a red letter Bible, these are red letters because they're from Jesus. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. Go out, talk about me, bring people into relationship with me, Um, go fish, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, What's interesting is Jesus is with them when he said this, but he's alluding to something incredibly powerful that God gives those who follow him. When you said yes to Jesus, if you have, and when you do, if you haven't yet, Jesus says, when I leave and I go to heaven, I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, to dwell inside of you when you follow me. And so when you pray for boldness and God gives you the opportunity, this is where our faith intersects with reality, you need to know that God's Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. That fear you have of not knowing what to say, the Holy Spirit in you, the power of God in you will give you the words in those moments so that you might be bold about Jesus in a completely non-creepy way, right? That's what the power of the Holy Spirit says, and it all starts with a prayer. God, enable me through the power of your Holy Spirit to speak about you with great boldness. And I'll just tell you, for some of you, that's the prayer that you need to pray. For others of you, that is not the prayer you need to pray this morning. For some of you, the prayer you need to pray is to accept Jesus into your life for the first time ever. Some of you, you've been coming around here enough that you know that today's your day. You've just been waiting. Um, Maybe God's pressing on your heart and just kind of pulling on your, tugging on your heart to accept him and to make him your Lord and Savior. And for some of you, the prayer that you need to pray, pray is a bold prayer. And it's a prayer of Jesus, come into my life and change me from the inside out and make me one of your children. Forgive me for my sins and and help me to live my life differently. And so here's what I want to do. If today is your day to step across the line of faith and uh, it starts with confessing your sin and asking Jesus to forgive you and be the Lord of your life. If that's you, I want to stop the service and give you an opportunity to pray right now and accept Jesus. So if everyone in here would bow your head and close your eye with me, eyes with me, both eyes. I want to ask you to just pray with me. If, if, if today's your day and you're ready to accept Jesus into your life and you believe that he died on the cross for your sins, I want to ask you to just um, make my words yours. There's nothing special about the words. Um, It really is the posture of your heart, but you can borrow my words in this moment. But if you're ready to trust Jesus with your life for the first time, you can say something maybe a little bit like this. You don't have to say it out loud. It's between you and God. 
God, thank you for today. I'm ready to commit my life to you. I ask you now for forgiveness, for your forgiveness. I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. And he rose from the dead, paying for my salvation. So I ask you, Jesus, to come into my life right now and be my Lord and Savior. Help me to live the rest of my life for you. In Jesus' name, amen.